Welcome to the 85%. I'm Mira Sharma. This week on the podcast, I have Trisha Martinez. She's the founder of Walla, a financial services app, and Dala, a cryptocurrency that goes with it. Based in Cape Town and currently operating in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Uganda, Walla enables customers to send digital money, Dala, to family across borders, as well as borrow, make transactions, and save. Many of these customers have never had a formal bank account before, or they conduct their lives primarily in cash, both of which pose challenges to financial freedom. Trisha and I discussed how banks have failed consumers in emerging markets, how cryptocurrency and blockchain are helping to reimagine financial systems, and a whole bunch of other fascinating stuff. Hope you enjoy. Trisha, welcome to the 85% podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. So um, I wonder if you could just start by sort of laying out the landscape you're operating in. Um, What are the issues and sort of challenges around banking and finance in Africa that that led you to start Walla? Well, there are a number of problems. So the main problem is the, the fact that emerging market finances are broken. So it's not just Africa. It ranges globally, which is why we still see three and a half billion consumers operating outside of the formal financial system. So really, in short, the existing system is not designed for the emerging market consumer. Rather than the traditional savings and loans model that most banks and financial service providers use in the developed world, banks and mobile money providers throughout Africa and other emerging markets actually operate this fee-driven business model, which disincentivizes consumers from participating in the system. That's why we still see 94% of transactions in Africa conducted in cash. So the biggest problem that we recognize was the two main pieces, access. You know, consumers who are based in rural areas have issues accessing you know, these, these services because of geographical issues. There's identification issues with, you know, opening a simple bank account. But the main issue that a lot of people don't really focus on is the cost. These fees are massive and can range from 5 to even 100% for consumers to deposit money, withdraw money, send money, hold money. So it really is this system that's actually disincentivizing participation, and we saw that as the biggest problem in these markets. Mm, right, and, and in a lot of cases, these um, fees are, are coming on transactions that are, are very, very small. I mean, why is that? Why is the fee issue so significant and why are you know banks not working harder to to meet the needs of their customers there's a number of reasons one there's not much competition so in a lot of these markets where you have either mobile money you know ruling one country or banking ruling one country there's almost oftentimes either a monopoly in the market or an oligopoly where a lot of these providers all charge similar fees and there's been no competitor that has come in to say we're removing fees or drastically cutting them. Um, And if that was the case, then we would see massive adoption from customers. And that's why we said we need to remove fees entirely. The other issue is that there's not a massive savings culture in these markets, right? There's a number of consumers who are lower income and living in poverty. So saving money uh, larger amounts of money is is not always a priority or is generally impossible. So banks can't lend out this save these savings buckets and generate more revenue on loans like they would in, in other types of markets. So that's where this fee model has really come into place that banks saw that in order to survive, they need to charge these fees to operate. 
But the fees are also also driven by the fact that they operate outdated models with branches and network, these agent networks and ATMs. And it, it's just an inefficient model that doesn't make sense. And that's why we've always said the system was never designed for these consumers. It doesn't take into effect their behaviors around microtransactions or their savings culture. And that's what we've discovered is, is necessary. You need to redesign the system entirely for these consumers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So before- before we sort of get into the specifics of how um, Walla and Dala work, um, I want to just ask you a broader question about financial inclusion, which of course is garnering a lot of attention and leading to numerous new initiatives, particularly in emerging markets. Um, but but I think for many outside of this world, it's still a, a bit of an unfamiliar concept. Um, so what does financial inclusion mean to you? It means financial freedom. We believe that in order for consumers to improve in their lives, to invest in their families and their communities and their countries, they need to have power and control over their money and they need to be in control of the decisions on who they can send that money to and what they can and can't do with that money. And that's the problem. There's too much control and ownership with banking um, in general, and they're constantly, especially in Africa, it's the king of middlemen, right? There is always a middleman coming in trying to take a cut, which at the end of the day always um, is pushed down to the consumer. They're the ones who bear the burden of this broken financial system, and it just doesn't make sense. So for us, financial inclusion means financial freedom. You know, there's always the, you know, the term unbanked, underbanked. And I actually really hate that term because to say someone is unbanked um, means that they, the solution is to bank them, and that's not the solution. The banking systems are broken. We need to redesign an entirely new system. Just giving someone a bank account does not solve any problem. It'll only make things worse because they'll have to pay out more fees to keep that bank account. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So perfect segue into how Walla actually works. Um, you know, I'm a person who's never had a bank account before, say, um, or, you know, most of my transacting takes place in cash. How do I get started? Great question. So, you know, high level overview, Walla is a zero fee financial services app that's been designed for emerging market consumers. So through a trustless and decentralized financial system, we enable what we like to say, greater levels of economic participation. So as I said, you know, today can Today, consumers are disincentivized from participating in the formal financial system due to these high fees. But with Walla, they can participate in this borderless, zero-fee financial system. Um, and a big part of Walla is Dala. Uh, Dala is this is this crypto assets and open-source multi-chain crypto asset um, that enables consumers to have access to borderless, low-cost, efficient, and unique financial services where they can earn, save, borrow, and transact and what we like to call a decentralized financial system. So we've taken a very different approach than most other companies on the continent in that we believe that it's there's a, a root problem and we need to rebuild the system entirely. We need to decentralize it so that consumers do have control over their money and can make the decisions that they want. But it also removes the middleman from this equation because consumers can no longer participate in a system and have never been able to participate in a system that is fee driven um, and is not designed for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So, so Dala is a cryptocurrency that uh, is is used on the Walla app, and, and you're using blockchain technology to to ensure that the money can be sent quickly and securely. But I gather you don't really sort of like make a big deal about the fact that it's cryptocurrency and blockchain and all this stuff with users. I mean, for the average person using these products, does the fact that it's a cryptocurrency even really matter at all? So we've really focused on the fact that adoption of cryptocurrency is really difficult. Anyone, when you think about cryptocurrency, it's a very complex-ish concept. It can be very confusing and intimidating. We wanted to remove that completely from the overall solution. We didn't want consumers to be intimidated, again, from a financial system. So that's why we've designed it to be completely um, driven around user experience and how we can you know, build something for these consumers and with these consumers. And what's interesting is that consumers in emerging markets have pretty much been using tokenized assets for years and years and years, mobile money. You know, the reason M-Pesa started was because Safaricom started noticing that consumers were using airtime as an asset and as a currency to move value around. And that's as, as exactly what DALA is. It's an asset. Consumers can move it borderlessly. There's no fees associated with it. Um, you know, it's it's efficient. It's fast. And that's what's really interesting. And we saw that adoption happen really quickly because consumers have already been exposed to this concept especially in markets when you're constantly thinking about exchange rate and currency, right? Consumers deal with inflation. So they're thinking in the context of what is, how much is this um, carton of milk today versus tomorrow? And how does that impact my budget? Um, you know, it's, they, they think in the context of, of currency constantly and its fluctuation. Mm-hmm. No, it's really interesting. I feel like, you know, there's definitely <laughs> seems to be a more sophisticated understanding of, of that concept. Um, you know, across the continent in, in Africa than maybe even in, say, the U.S. because we're not necessarily kind of operating with those kinds of transactions all the time. But You're so, completely right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it strikes me as, as con- a little bit of a confusing concept, but, you know, for somebody in Uganda, it's totally normal. Yeah. Um, so what happens, say, when somebody sends dollar money to a family member, what can they do with it? What can they pay for? Can they withdraw it as cash? So our first step in launching was that we need to make sure we can provide immediate utility to users. So anyone can issue a cryptocurrency, hand it to someone and say, here, but unless I can, unless I can, you know, redeem it for something, unless I can transact with it, there's no value whatsoever. Right. So we've spent you know, years on the ground um, in a few different mar- African markets building out networks. So agents, merchants, partners, banks, all of these different entities to participate in an ecosystem around Walla and Dala. And today, what users in South Africa, Uganda, and Zimbabwe can do is they can purchase Dala, so essentially depositing into their Dala wallet. Once they have money in that account, they can then send peer-to-peer payments anywhere instantly for free. So cross-border, there's no longer fees or anything that they have to worry about there. If they want to purchase value-added services like electricity for their home or you know, digital TV services, DSTV or airtime and data, we have a number of products and services throughout 20 different countries that consumers can purchase with the dollar crypto asset. And what we're working on now is expanding this network to not just a transactional asset to 
a fully decentralized financial system, like I said. So designing ways for consumers to save and, and earn with, you know, an interest with that asset to borrow from other dollar token holders around the world to um, earn money in dollar through micro jobs, uh, a DAP that we are creating. So for us, it's literally building a, a new financial system. Mm-hmm. But in order to get there, we have to take a few steps. The first was transactional. The next is going to be more and more ways for consumers to earn, save, and consume. Mm-hmm. And in forging these partnerships with with merchants and such to, you know, make DALA useful. Um, Tell me a little bit about that process. I mean, was that was that well received? Was that a big challenge? Uh, you know, anything that brings in more value and revenue to a lot of organizations, they're open to 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 exploring. Africa is interesting because you know, even though Africa has leapfrogged so many technologies and and is so far advanced, I would say in terms of finance mobile financial services compared to the rest of the world there are still um you know so many more consumers that need to be brought into the system and that's why you need to create this network where a consumer can move money in and out instantly with merchants and agents they can transact anywhere so grocery stores to small spaza shops um to individuals and that's why we saw a lot of enterprises and merchants and retailers that were interested in what we were doing because they know that cash is a problem. It's a massive cost on them. Um, You know, companies lose money every day to manage just the physical asset of cash. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and cash is king is still in Africa. So that's kind of the big competitor that everyone's trying to get rid of. And they recognize that wall and dollar could start solving these problems. So um, it takes time and it doesn't happen overnight, but we've done a good job and, expanding partnerships through multiple markets with what we call aggregators. So these different uh, providers that aggregate telecommunications and value-added service products products and services. Um, but now we're looking to branch out to large retail stores um, so that consumers can use their Walla app and transact with Dalla for their groceries, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody is getting paid in cash, can they deposit that cash into their DALA wallet? Um, and, and how might they do that? Yes. So we're actually getting ready to release uh, cash in and cash out points in all the markets that we operate. So today, the way a consumer would deposit into their DALA wallet is either through mobile money payments. So, you know, in most of the markets that we operate, Uganda and Zimbabwe, mobile money is very prevalent in these markets. So it's easy for a consumer to just send mobile money and we deposit the equivalent dollar into their account. Mm -hmm. In markets like South Africa, where mobile money doesn't exist and banking is really prevalent, we enable bank transfers. But we have a network of merchants on the ground who will be supporting the on and off ramps of cash to dollar so that consumers can just go around the corner, deposit that cash that they're carrying, and now have it in their dollar wallet. Right, And, and circumvent the formal bank entirely. Exactly. Right. Um. I wonder if you could give me a, a specific example of sort of how dollar might change somebody's routine. You know, how might someone use dollar currency as compared to what they were doing before? Um, and an example that I, I saw in my research was, you know, this driver who would sort of send a bag of cash across the border and, and that uh, often yes. resulted in all kinds of fees and that kind of thing. 
Yes. So a number of use cases, obviously, when people think about crypto, the remittance use case is one of the most common. So obviously, you know, the the process of moving value across borders is very expensive because the existing systems in place, the infrastructure, the companies, they are you know, looking to generate a lot of profit. And so consumers bear the burden of the system. But with crypto, it's borderless by nature. So, you know, you can move it anywhere instantly and potentially at no cost. So that is a massive, massive value proposition to consumers who are expats. You know, in South Africa, there's a humongous expat community of consumers from Zimbabwe and Zambia and Botswana who need to send money back multiple times a month but like that use case that you you brought up, I met so many consumers who who have avoided the costly Western unions and moneygrams to use just bags of cash and give them to bus drivers, which is terrifying. But it just shows you how big the problem is that consumers will go to extreme lengths and take massive risk just to avoid some of these fees um, that that impact their everyday life now. Other, another consumer, for example, would be, you know, someone in Uganda who is a mobile money agent. They work for these telecommunications companies and sell products and services. So I'm a consumer. I have cash. I need to go buy airtime. I'll go to this agent. But the agents and the consumers both get charged fees for all of these services. And these agents are trying to run businesses and make more money. And with mobile money constantly charging them fees for working on their behalf, they're, again, disincentivized from wanting to work with them. So that, one, enables consumers to earn more money because they're saving on fees Mm -hmm. as well as save more money. Um, What's exciting for us, though, is is coming up is that the use cases around additional products and services. So we all know that access to, to debt is really important for consumers in Africa. Africa has some of the, you know, most quickly growing entrepreneurial communities. You know, there's not a lot of jobs, there's a lot of unemployment. So people are constantly creating their own businesses and and small, you know, organizations to help bring in more revenue for their family. And what we're launching is a micro jobs DAP, which will enable organizations like NGOs or retail organizations to post these micro jobs. Like here's For example, you know, I need you to fill out the survey. We're looking to collect data, filling out a survey and you get paid for that. Just very small tasks that need to be completed, but there was no system to enable that because payments are very costly Mm -hmm. in Africa. So NGOs and big retailers don't want to have to deal with cash or other forms of digital payment. And the other side is consumers are all looking for jobs, high unemployment rates, people We'll do anything for work. And we quickly discovered that once we launched our app. And that's that's just one of the other use cases that we're really excited about. Mm, yeah, really interesting. So so now that you've kind of established DALA as, as a currency, um, might it take on a life of its own in that it can kind of organically expand or people might come up with ways of, you know, becoming DALA middlemen, uh, that kind of thing? Um, is that something you anticipate or something you're maybe already seeing? 100%. And it is something we're already seeing. So right now we are a dollar is essentially governed by the dollar foundation, but we don't want this foundation to be running it right. We want it to be a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. So our expectation and hope is that in the coming, you know, years, 
this foundation will cease to exist, that I will no longer be a director because this is now a, a true public utility. No one owns it. No one controls it. It is has a, a, a mind of its own and it's growing organically because because um, engineers are building on top of it new apps that consumers can access this crypto asset for to create this own economy around you know, food distribution or whatever the case is. That's what's really exciting about cryptocurrency is that when you, it has the potential to remove so many barriers, but then create opportunity on top of it. And we're starting it with Walla, um, but we're now building out this ecosystem to bring in more companies like Walla and different types of industries so we can continually grow the network, which will then drive in more engineers and innovators to want to build on top of it. Mm. Now, I know Zimbabwe recently tried to ban cryptocurrency. Um, is that an issue for you? I mean, is that something that is that a challenge you're running into in other places as well? No, I would say that Africa, most a lot of the regulators in Africa have been some of the most progressive uh, in comparison to the U.S. and other European markets and Asian markets. Zimbabwe was more that was more of a reactionary a reactive response so um they since revoked what they've what they said initially um and they're now taking a step back to say let's get educated let's see what's happening and what cryptocurrency is doing the issue is that education is needed with all regulators so most of these regulators don't they're not technologists right the Mm -hmm. blockchain technology is very complex And it would be surprising that many of them truly understand how it works. The issue is that so many associate it with Bitcoin and see Bitcoin as this money laundering, black market uh, currency. So it has a really bad rep with uh, regulators. And that's why our goal has been we just need to educate regulators. We need to work with them, show them that this is a financial inclusion tool it's it's not meant to you know take down their their own currency. It's meant to create opportunity and include consumers into a financial system that they've been excluded from their entire lives. So you know things change over time. Regulators can change their mind overnight. But you know the South African Reserve Bank has been very progressive in their approach, and most African nations tend to look at South Africa to guide them and how they just on their decisions with policy. So we're hoping that that remains the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And why Cape town uh, as a base of operations for, for Walla and Dala at the moment? A number of reasons. So we met our CTO while we, my co-founder and I were living in London, participating in the Barclays Techstars accelerator and, our CTO um, reached out to us. We started engaging with them and he, we you know, found out he's from Cape Town and quickly discovered that Cape Town has a budding and quickly growing fintech ecosystem, blockchain ecosystem. There's so much technical talent. There are more and more big fintech companies growing and expanding. So uh, it's just a great ecosystem be, to be in because for us, the most important thing is expanding our team and bringing in the right talent so we can attract a lot of great engineers and growth people um, into Cape Town, especially because it's a really nice place to live. How did you you personally come to this work? I know you've worked in the financial access sector for a long time. Yeah, I've spent my entire career in financial inclusion. So, you know, the start of my career, I I completed my master's at the University of Chicago, where I studied behavioral economics. And 
became very passionate about financial inclusion and specifically poverty alleviation and how we can support consumers more efficiently and everything always stemmed to money and access to financial services. You can't invest in your health unless you have money. You can't invest in your education unless you have money, but consumers don't have control of their money and they don't have access to the services that can help them grow financially. And I ended up launching a company in, in Uganda where we, um, built this technology to support unconditional cash transfers. So essentially providing consumers universal basic income. So working with subsistence farmers, you know, we worked with a few hundred farmers, provided them with cash grants and just conducted research to see what they were investing that money in and the impact it was creating. And, you know, what we came down to was it was creating a significant impact in these consumers' lives, but they would receive the money from us and put it in a cash box in their village or bury it in their huts. And these were consumers who were extreme poverty, subsistence farmers living off of the land, uh, completely removed from any urban area or town. So it was obviously a different consumer we were working with, but the concept of having a safe, affordable uh, place to store and grow your money was pretty much non-existent. And that's when I started targeting this emerging middle class and urban areas and quickly discovered that they too are opting out of the financial system because of the fees and the poor experience. And that's when this red light came on for me that there's a really massive problem that if the right solution is designed can change billions of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's really interesting. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is for, you know, something like universal basic income to work in, in parts of the world where, where financial services are limited you you sort of need that infrastructure first you need you need places and services for people to be able to store money before you can actually effectively give them money 100 percent. and it's it's not just the infrastructure it's also financial literacy so a lot of people are hungry for information. They want to know how to save and budget and prepare for the future, but that information is not really out there. And if it is, it's not really applicable to their income level or their, you know, socioeconomic status and their, their life and their behaviors. And so that's, we started Walla by providing basic financial tips to get people more in the mindset of saving and preparing for their future. Because, when you're living on a few dollars a day, it can become very depressing, but um, you needed to have what we thought like a financial companion, someone that could have your back and be that support mechanism um, that wasn't necessarily your bank, but that was just a friend that could help you when you needed it. And we saw that really take off in Uganda. Consumers really um, started to, to flock to this community we created because they were inspired by the concept of financial freedom and gaining power um, of their money and having an influence on their overall communities. Mm-hmm. It sounds like your your background as a behavioral economist also really shapes your approach, just a more human-centered, customer-centered approach. Uh, completely. And what we, the, you know, when we were designing the token model for for Dala, the the main thing was about behavior change. How can we, we saw that cash is the biggest competitor, that 
people see cash, they trust it, you know, they can hold it in their hand. They don't have to have anyone, you know, in a bank taking it, it can sit in their house. So it's something that's comfortable to them. But in order to drive adoption and to really create financial freedom, we needed to start changing behavior and building trust. And that's when we started the, the behavioral economics backgrounds started coming more into play because we wanted to see how can we change financial behavior to actually help support consumers on their path to financial freedom? So if we incentivize you correctly, will you save more money? Will you, um, you know, pay back your debt? Will you do these things? So it became really interesting that we could help consumers on their path towards financial freedom by designing the right incentives models um, that were actually created specifically for them and their behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about this a little bit already, but how do you see Walla and and Dalla sort of shaping financial life going forward? Um, How does it relate, if at all, to formal or traditional banking systems? I really believe that, um, not now, but in the future, that that banks will become obsolete. I think that they will be, uh, from a consumer-facing solution, they will become obsolete. I think that they will always exist on the back end and have some form of mechanism operating, but retail banking just is not the right solution for these consumers. And the same with mobile money. And that's why I kept mentioning the fact that Africa and other emerging markets, they are the king of of middlemen. And the concept of middlemen is just it's, it's a scary thing because Africans have been taken advantage, advantage of their whole lives and they are disenfranchised. And it's generally because these big corporations and enterprise have the ability to build systems. And because there's not a lot of competition, because it's hard to get into Africa to build systems and to get adoption, um, you know, consumers are the ones who are, again, bearing the burden due to these middlemen. And I think that with the way Walla and Dollar are being built, we believe that it is about the consumer and giving them the power that they deserve to control their money. Um, and that's really what's going to start happening is the the banks can, will no longer be able to compete. They won't have any more customers coming in. They won't be generating revenue from those fees. And the same with mobile money. Um, even though consumers use them now because it's the only solution that exists, um, we've seen how quickly in just a few months we had over a hundred thousand users come sign up for for the wallet app, open a dollar wallet, transact, per, you know, buy dollar, send it cross border, buy products and services at a rapid rate. Like we couldn't anticipate that growth, mm. um, and so that's what was the most eye opening thing to me is that our hypothesis was right that when you design something, or uh, based on what a consumer wants, when you remove the barriers, you're going to see incredible growth. And that's because this is a massive problem and it impacts billions. So when when designed correctly, you can really change lives. Well, Trisha, thank you so much. This has been great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week's episode. The 85% is a production of Emerge 85. Visit our website, emerge85.io, for more interviews, profiles, and features on the many changes unfolding in the emerging world. We're also on social media at E85Lab. Thanks for listening. Until next time.